What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Capo Podcast. I'm happy so many people are listening to the books. I I didn't really think I'd get so much traffic on them this quickly. So I kind of thought to... I really always thought that I'd reach more people with the podcast than I would with uh, printed books like I did a decade ago. And uh, it looks like I was right. So I'm I'm glad I started the podcast thing. Uh, I hope it keeps growing because I think the book series is awesome. And I feel like a lot of people will dig it in the end. Um, A lot of people maybe that don't read would like to listen to it. But uh, so since everything on the book front is going so well... I thought I'd do a, you know, a regular podcast, just to, you know, since most people are listening to the books, just kind of, you know, depress the hell out of them, since they're waiting for another chapter, and instead, do a regular podcast. Tyrants and Savages is by far the most listened to episode already, and I know a lot of people are here for the books, but I I think there's a lot of people listening who are just as interested, if not more interested, in just the regular podcast type of thing. So I'm going to take this opportunity to, you know, ruin it for anybody who's just listening to the books because I know they're waiting to see what happens next. But here we are. We're going to do a regular podcast. And if you hear me taking kind of breaks here while we do this, it's because I'm smoking a pipe while we do it. I'm, I'm having a little smoke. I'm having a little drink. So unlike the narration, I'm going to kind of let this go where it wants to go instead of trying to make it perfect. So I might pause every once in a while to take a little toke of my pipe. Um, this is a perfect time to pause in the books because if you have been listening to the books, if you're up to date, the last episode kind of leaves everyone off on a kind of intermission, uh, a very sad intermission, really, with a little, you know, little violin music playing in the background. Uh, I didn't really want to fire off the next chapter right away because I feel like if you are up to date on the books, you probably need some time to stew over what happened to Noah, who's one of the main characters at the big battle in the mountain valley, right? Like, why, why would I do something like that? Kind of a dick move really, but um, I thought it was a perfect time to sit back and wait and wait and, you know, make you wait to see what happens next. Now, I'm kidding, kind of, well, I'm kind of kidding. It's it's going so good and people are tuning in, so it's, it's the perfect time to piss everyone off, you know, just really be a contrarian and a cynic and talk about stuff that makes people uncomfortable, uh, you know, stuff that'll make people tune right out, which is, you know, always what I'm hoping to do. I don't I don't want this to be successful at all. I want people to, to just tune out and say, I'm done with this. So that's what we're going to do tonight, everybody. This won't be a real, like, sunshine and happiness episode. Uh, but honestly, like, is that what you're expecting from the guy who wrote the books that you're listening to? If you're listening to the books... Or if you're not listening to the books, is that what you expect from me, if you know me? Probably not, I would imagine. Um, but I do, I want to make one kind of important point about the whole book series as a whole. The one thing I will promise everyone that's listening is that a long way back to Zion, it does have a happy ending. It is not going to be like the last season of 
like Game of Thrones. I'm not going to piss everyone off with the ending. While we're on that topic, um, I actually enjoyed the last, the way that the, the last season of Game of Thrones ended up. But uh, I probably think that's, that's because I realized that George R. R. Martin was tr- writing a tragedy story. It was like a Shakespeare story. He wasn't writing a happy ending story like Lord of the Rings. And in fact, that's what I think makes George R. R. Martin an absolute uh, master and, a, you know, a real gangsta. Uh, I just wish that he would get off of his fat ass and finish the book series. TikTok, George, because, you know, before the obesity takes you away from us, this is your legacy. You really, really need to finish that book series. So tonight, what I want to talk about, um, I guess the, our main topic is going to be dystopian books as a general idea. What dystopian books are really about, after all. I think I'm going to call this episode American Dystopia because it sounds good. Uh, So if you're talking about the world going to hell in a handbasket, which is what my books cover, the questions you have to ask are, well, how did that happen? You know, how does the world go to hell? Uh, And that's what this episode is going to be about. And we kind of touched on that last time I did a standalone podcast episode when we did Tyrants and Savages. Uh, But I'm kind of expanding on that because what this episode is about is really where am I coming from with the book? You know, why why do I think that we are living through the, the decline and fall of America as an empire or as a superpower or as America has existed forever? Um, because of this subject, we're going to have to talk about politics a little bit as we go along and history and some other stuff. So this is a fair warning. If you are, you know, of the leftist political persuasion and you're just here to be entertained by a fun dystopian action story, you, you might want to skip this episode. Uh, I mean, or you can listen to it if you want you can you know you can yell at me through your device that's okay too or you can listen to it and you can just agree to disagree with me when it comes to all my political beliefs but again I'm I'm giving you a a fair warning here I'm I'm not going to go around a lot of stuff I'm 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 going I'm coming armed I'm I'm loaded for bear as they say um, and we're going to talk about politics and stuff and my my political beliefs now, as a, you know, somebody who's in their 30s, when I was 15 to, you know, 18, I, I didn't understand my own political beliefs. But now, as I'm, you know, middle-aged probably, I probably won't live that long, but the point is, as I've gotten older, I've I've refined my beliefs to where they, they're backed up by philosophy, history, inherent truths, and they're not just they're not uh just something that are coming from nowhere uh so once again, this is your chance um abandon all hope ye who enter here rants and raves are incoming uh I'm not gonna pull any punches on what I think I have to do that all the time in my real life and at my real job well, I mean if you count teaching as a real job, I guess it kind of is but uh I'm not going to do that on the podcast, because I have to do that in my real life. 
and the podcast is a way for me to escape and maybe a way for you to escape. So I'm going to give you a chance now to turn back if you're somebody who doesn't want to hear, you know, some things that might be uncomfortable politically. Three, two, one. Okay, are you still here? All right, well, let's have a drink and let's talk about all this good stuff. So in the episode Tyrants and Savages, we talked about this idea of our culture and society kicking at the pillars of Western civilization and the prospect of what would happen if we actually finally kicked those pillars in. And I said in that episode that those pillars are, you know, they're big, they're wide, they are, they're foundational and they're strong. But that doesn't mean you can't kick them in if you try for long enough and for hard enough, which I feel like we are. Now, this fear of kicking the pillars in is really one that is held almost exclusively by people who identify as politically conservative, which I do, which if you haven't figured it out by now, I do. Um, And that makes sense because philosophically, conservatives believe in conserving history and tradition. If a liberal and a conservative are walking across a field and they come upon a fence, the liberal says, we must take down this fence. We got to get this fence out of here. And a conservative says, well, hold on a second. Uh, Shouldn't we try to understand why the fence was built first? What's the fence for? Uh, Maybe the fence does need to be taken down, but there might be some consequences to tearing it down, so we should probably figure that out first before we tear this fence down. Uh, Now, because conservatives have this belief that their culture and their history is under some kind of assault, and here's a side note, I really think it's hard to argue against in the modern world when there's so many groups that are openly saying that's exactly what they're doing. But anyway, end of side note. Because they understand this, there must be this natural pushback against those efforts to tear down you know, foundational ideas. And that's really what the modern conservative movement is focused on right now. When you hear about like the culture war, uh, this is exactly what conservatives are talking about. It's quite literal like a a war on a cultural front when conservatives are saying, like, we need to fight to conserve traditional moral and political ideas. They're the foundation of the culture and the country. On the other side of that, progressives say, we need to fight this cultural war to do away with the old traditional moral political ideas in favor of new progressive ideas that only we're smart enough to understand. Uh, So, you see how the names of things actually hold meaning. Conservatives want to conserve. Progressives say they want to progress to something they think will, you know, be newer and better. Republicans favor the republic form of government, equal power to the states. Democrats favor democracy and majority rule based on strictly population numbers. Words are important. Uh, Words will tell you what political movements are about. And I wanted to kind of just bypass this, but I think that, I don't know, I think that it might be important real quick to kind of run through the main 
political ideologies in the country right now in case somebody who's listening doesn't understand that political words have meaning and political movements actually have some sort of philosophy and meaning behind them. So, <clears throat> let's run through you know, those political words and their meanings real quick. First of all, let's talk about conservatism. So, conservatives believe in small government. The name comes from this belief in conserving traditional economic and political philosophies, like I said before. So this means conservatives hold a firm view of originalism when it comes to the Constitution. They do not view the Constitution as a, quote, living document. They believe the government is in place only to secure and protect natural rights, which means they believe in natural rights in the first place, uh, and they believe that natural rights are negative rights. And that means the only thing required to exercise them is for other people and the government to leave you alone. Conservatives believe in a free market economic system for the most part. They think that's the best way to create economic success. Conservatives believe that everyone should be given the same opportunities, but they do not believe in equality of outcome. They don't believe in equity over equality as a political idea. This means conservatives are generally opposed to government programs like affirmative action or hiring, you know, on the basis of race or gender or, you know, all that other good stuff. Uh, conservatives believe in the rule of law. They believe in popular sovereignty, separation of powers, and in a, they have an originalist view of the Bill of Rights. They're usually religious. They're usually traditionalist when it comes to the family structure. Conservatives believe in a Judeo-Christian moral idea, moral principles, and most conservatives are okay with laws and restrictions on things they view as negative morally. They believe that citizens have a duty not to the government, but to society to be a positive impact and an added value to society. So this is why they generally have a negative view on stuff like drugs and pornography and other vices. They believe that they are a... They believe that these things, like drugs and pornography, are a, a negative impact on the social fabric around them. Uh, conservatives believe that people should succeed or fail based upon their individual work ethic and the decisions that they make in their lives. Uh, as far as, like, uh, just issues, conservatives are generally, you know, pro-gun, pro-free speech. They're generally pro-death penalty, uh, generally anti-abortion, anti-drugs and vices. They're always for reducing taxes, and they're always against an increase in the, you know, the federal government's power. Uh, and just a, you know, a quick list of conservative intellectuals in the past hundred years, kind of off the top of my head, uh, Milton Friedman, William F. Buckley, Thomas Sowell, oh, I don't know, Rush Limbaugh, Dinesh D'Souza, yeah, Ben Shapiro would probably be the one that most kind of like the millennial generation would understand, but Ben Shapiro would be kind of the newest one of the conservative intellectuals. Um, uh, the most impactful of that list, 
honestly, I would say is probably Thomas Sowell on a on an intellectual level, and then Rush Limbaugh on just a kind of pop culture level. Because, you know, everybody hates him, but most people don't understand how much of an impact he had on the conservative movement. Okay, so that's a that's an idea of what conservatism is politically. Next, let's do we'll call it kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Let's leftism. We'll we'll define leftism next. Now, I'm not going to pretend to be you know, somebody who doesn't have their own opinions. So when I say leftism here, this is leftism as viewed from a conservative perspective because I I identify with the conservative group. I lean a little libertarian in some ways, but increasingly, especially since I had a kid, I'm I'm more conservative than anything else. So this view of leftism is a conservative view of leftism and I'll be open from it from the beginning. So but also keep in mind that this view of leftism is backed up by, you know, history and just what leftists say themselves. I'm not just making this shit up. This is this is what they say themselves. So leftists believe in a very big and powerful federal government. The name leftism comes from the fact that leftists support left-wing political ideologies over traditional political ideologies. Leftism is a little tricky because people will rarely claim to be leftist. Uh, by its by its very nature, the goal of leftism is to overthrow existing establishments. Uh, because this is universally unpopular, leftists will not openly say that they are leftist most of the time. Usually they're going to identify as liberal or progressive, but leftist political ideology is a little different than liberal or progressive political ideologies. They have a few kind of very important differences. So leftists are proponents of the government having a lot of power or absolute power. And they are supposed to use this power to ensure what is called equity. And leftists believe that social hierarchies cause inequality because people, you know, economically and socially differ because of these hierarchies. Because these inequalities exist between people, leftists want to use the power of the government to remove those inequalities, or at least that's what they say they want to do. Uh, I'll go into more depth on that on some other episode, probably when I talk about George Orwell, Animal Farm, 1984. But for now, let's pretend that leftists actually want to achieve equity and remove inequalities, and that it's not just a, a cynical ploy to gain power. Let's pretend that. I mean, that's the truth. They, they do just want to do that. They just want power. But let's pretend they don't. Let's pretend they actually want to remove inequalities. So let us believe that everyone should be given the same outcome, not the same opportunities. No one should be richer than anyone else. No one should be more privileged than anyone else. They believe that uh, all differences in status, power, and wealth should be completely eliminated, no matter how, you know, lazy or retarded someone is. 
And that's just my little addition there at the end. So they believe in command economies rather than free market economies. Command economies are government-run economies. And they are the best system to create this social equity because they're not focused on economic success. They're only focused on that you know, creating of social equity. They believe that some individuals are inherently more privileged than others, and because of that, they support government rules and regulations to force equity over what everyone else would call equality. Equity to the left is more important than equality. So leftists are not really concerned with the rule of law. They're not really concerned with popular sovereignty or separation of powers. Instead, their goal is to remove separation of powers in order to gain a full political advantage over their political enemies in order to achieve their political goals for the quote-unquote greater good. Uh, Leftists are usually not religious. In fact, they're often anti-traditional religion. They're usually opposed to the traditional family, uh, religious and moral values. They view them as kind of the problem that creates inequality within the society. Uh, Leftists are generally pro-gun, but only for themselves. So whoever is members of the leftist political group, they're pro-gun, but not for anyone else. So uh, anti-gun for everyone besides whoever their party is. Anti-free speech, uh, leftists are usually pro-abortion. They're almost always pro-drugs and biases like alcohol and gambling and pornography. Uh, They're always for increasing taxes, and they're always for increasing government power. Um, Leftist intellectuals of the past hundred years, or, you know, close to the last hundred years. So first off is Karl Marx, of course. He's the father of communism. Next, you have kind of the uh, the Russians, you know, Vladimir Lenin, you know, Leon Trotsky. And then if we get into kind of literal politicians of the past hundred years, you have Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot, uh, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, uh, Che Guevara, Fidel Castro, Raul Castro... Hugo Chavez, uh, Nicolas Maduro, and then, you know, in America, you've got Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Those are your, your American leftist. Next up, we've got modern liberalism. Now, this is also called progressivism, and it's different than classical liberalism, and I don't really want to go into depths on, on classical liberalism, in this podcast because mostly because the the political ideologies I'm covering are modern political ideologies and there's almost nobody in the modern world who is classically liberal um you still have your conservatives in the classic world or in the modern world but you don't really have any classical liberals left uh because you don't there's no John Locke's left in the in the modern world and i'll probably at some point i'll probably do a big episode on modern liberalism versus classical liberalism but for now since we're staying with like what's going on right now 
we'll talk about modern liberalism, a.k.a. progressivism. So modern liberals and progressives, they believe in larger governments than conservatives do. They view the Constitution as a living document that can be changed with changing worldviews. They believe in natural rights and that the government should protect natural rights, but they, they disagree with the philosophies of people like John Locke and the Founding Fathers and the Constitution when it comes to natural rights. They don't have the same view of natural rights as uh, negative rights from God. Uh, modern liberals believe in a mixed economic system, so they believe in like uh, some free market but also some command economy ideas. Uh, they believe that the market should be regulated as needed. They believe that there should be an expansion of civil and political rights and an expansion of the power of the government. This means their views on natural rights differ from conservatives. They're more accepting to the idea of positive rights. And positive rights are rights that require actions or tax dollars from other people in order for them to work. You know, like something like um, you know, universal health care or universal housing or something. Basically anything that requires someone else to pay for it or provide work for it is a positive right, which means they're not really rights at all, but I don't want to... I'm trying to be as fair as I can here. So, the most defining thing for modern liberals is this belief that the common good and individual freedom can exist in harmony at the same time. This sets them apart from leftists and from conservatives. So, leftists do not believe that the common good and individual freedom can exist at the same time in harmony. They, they believe that uh, you have to get rid of individual freedom for the sake of common good. That is the leftist persuasion. Now, conservatives also don't believe that the common good and individual freedom can exist simultaneously. Because conservatives believe that the common good is a very shifty and slippery slope. Because it, it can be used as a political weapon. Thus, conservatives believe that individual freedom and natural rights must be paramount. They think individual freedom, natural rights have to be the most important thing uh, over the common good. Now... Modern liberals, progressives, believe that they can have both of these things at the same time. They think that they can have their cake and they can eat it too. So because of this, they believe more firmly in using the government to address things like uh, poverty, health care, education, climate issues, whereas conservatives don't view those things as generally the job of the government. Uh, Modern liberals most of the time do believe in the rule of law and popular sovereignty and separation of powers, uh, but at the same time they view the Constitution as a, a living document that can be adjusted kind of at will. So, modern liberals are generally... Now, this is, this is where it gets tricky because it can go both ways here. Most modern liberals are anti-gun. Not all of them, though. Most 
modern liberals are pro-abortion, but not all of them. Most modern liberals are pro-free speech, though that seems to be kind of not the case in the modern world lately. Most are for increasing taxes. Most, if not all, are for increasing the power of government. Uh, Just a rundown of modern liberal progressive politicians of the past hundred years, and this will probably surprise some people, maybe. Uh, Theodore Teddy Roosevelt was a progressive Republican. William Taft was a progressive Republican. Um, And then we get to the worst president in all of American history. I don't know. Joe Biden's making a run for it, but this guy's still the worst. Woodrow Wilson was a progressive Democrat. Uh, FDR was a progressive Democrat. Um, and you have people like you know John F. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, uh, the Bushes. They also fall under these kind of progressive wing. Lastly, kind of honorable mention here, we have libertarianism. So, libertarians believe in liberty as a core principle. They're kind of like conservatives in this. But like conservatives, libertarians favor a small government. They're very leery of authority. Most libertarians hold an originalist view of the Constitution. Uh, They do not believe the Constitution is a living document that can be changed. Uh, The Libertarian Party is the largest party in the U.S. behind the Republicans and Democrats. But they hold almost no political power. Now, why? Why don't the libertarians have any political power? Well, it's because libertarians, the only people libertarians hate more than Republicans and Democrats seems to be each other. There are a lot of internal disagreements within the libertarian party, and they can never, they can never grab any ground. Uh, again, like conservatives, libertarians generally believe in a free market economy system, They believe that the best way to ensure freedom is economic success. Uh, Libertarians differ from conservatives in their approach to social issues. So while conservatives generally favor laws restricting drug abuse, prostitution, pornography, libertarians will generally be against those laws. Uh, The philosophical reason for this is that libertarians don't view it as the government's job to involve itself in morality. Conservatives, on the other hand, will argue that allowing these things or encouraging these things will cause society to break down over time. Uh, This is arguably the biggest disagreement between libertarians and conservatives. Uh, Libertarians and conservatives agree on a whole bunch of different things fundamentally, Uh, Libertarians believe in the rule of law, popular sovereignty, separation of powers, and an originalist view of the Bill of Rights, just like conservatives do. They may or or may not be religious. Uh, Most libertarians have a Judeo-Christian moral view of the world, but they don't think that morality can be legislated. Uh, They're generally less concerned with individuals having a social responsibility to be a positive impact or a, or a value added to society. And they're, they're more concerned with the idea of uh, individual liberty 
than conservatives are. So libertarians are generally, they're pro-gun, they're pro-free speech. <coughs> they're, a lot of them are pro-abortion, but there's kind of a, that's where the argument lies in the libertarian party. Uh, they're usually kind of pro-drugs and vices, or at least they're opposed to the government regulating those things. And then all libertarians are against increasing taxes and against increasing government power. And if somebody says they're a libertarian and they're for increasing taxes or government power, guess what? They're not actually a libertarian. They're just, I don't know, retarded, I guess. All right, so the last group I want to talk about as far as kind of political ideas go is moderates. So... What are moderates? Now, this might be the part that kind of pisses someone off, but honestly, like, what else am I here for? So, moderates, like unicorns and leprechauns, do not exist. There are many people who claim to be political moderates, but the, in reality, there is no such thing. There's no such thing as a moderate. Uh, there's two reasons that people will claim to be moderate, though. The first reason, and this is the most common reason, is that the person claiming to be moderate simply does not know what political worldview he or she belongs to. So, because political philosophies are a little tricky, and most people don't really care to pay attention to politics, most people don't really understand what it is that they're supporting when they choose a political affiliation. Most people choose a political identity the way they choose a starter Pokemon in the old Pokemon games. So they'll say, like, oh, Charmander seems cool. I guess I'm a Republican. Oh, my parents told me that Squirtle is the best. I guess I'll be a Democrat. Uh, moderates are the people who choose Bulbasaur because everyone else has chosen Charmander or Squirtle. They insist that Bulbasaur is the best, even though everyone knows that it's most certainly not the best. Um, anyways, most people do have a political philosophy. It's based upon their worldview, it's based upon their religious views, it's based upon their morals, their upbringing, all of that. But most people just don't know what it is. So, if you think you're a moderate, for example, and... Uh, Feel free to uh, comment on, I don't know, I'll probably like share this on Instagram or something or Facebook. If you think you're moderate, I'll ask you four or five questions and I'll let you know exactly what you are based upon your answers to four or five questions. The, the second reason someone will claim to be a moderate is because they're actually something else. They're actually a conservative or they're actually a, a liberal or, God forbid, they're actually a leftist. And they think that if they say they're moderate, it gives them some sort of moral high ground over someone else from the other side. Um, and honestly, this, it's just an immature exercise by someone who isn't confident in their understanding of their own worldview. So, there's your words and your meanings for political movements. And I feel like we went off in the weeds there for, I don't know seems like half an hour, but conservatives, liberals, uh, leftists, moderates, libertarians, there's your, 
what political movements are going on in the United States right now. Now, let's get back to our country starting to come apart and why that's happening. So there is a resistance to the the progressive and leftist ideas that we're seeing in modern America, mostly because the the modern liberals, the progressives, have been infiltrated and largely taken over by leftists. And the people on the right are becoming more and more aware of this as the days go by. For some reason, modern liberals either aren't really noticing that this is happening, or they're pretending not to notice, or they're just joining the leftist ranks because it's the cool thing to do right now. So this division along political lines is way more defined than it's been in a very long time. Uh, in a way we really haven't seen in probably over a hundred years. And every action has a reaction. And the U.S. politically and culturally has moved so far left in the past couple generations that it's, it's really hard to keep up with for people who are actual real conservatives. For example, I mean, Obama and Hillary... Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, they were both opposed to gay marriage openly and politically. If you go back 10 years to the to the year 2012, both Obama and Hillary were publicly anti-gay marriage. Now, 10 years later, in the year 2022, you'd be hard-pressed to find a single Republican, let alone any Democrat, that would publicly say they oppose gay marriage. Why is that? Well, it's because culturally, we have moved further left on that issue. Way further left on that issue. And I'm just using this one issue as an example. There's many more issues. There's many other ways the country has moved further left. Um, There are a couple issues that the U.S. as a whole has gone more libertarian on. Mostly they've gone further left, but... uh, in a few ways, we've gone more libertarian since you know the early 1900s. One of those would be gun laws. So gun laws are way more permissive in red states in 2022 than they were in you know 1992 or even 1932 for that matter. I think the the original NFA gun restrictions started in like 1934, maybe. So. Yeah, there, there's a, a lot more gun rights in red states than there were, you know, 10, 20 years ago in red states. We've moved more libertarian on gun, gun laws or on uh, drugs. You can see this both in blue states and red states. On drugs, we've become more libertarian in the past generation or two. So culturally, the country has moved either more liberal or more libertarian for a very long time. Uh, in no ways has the culture moved even one step toward any sort of conservatism in that time. And uh, like this is probably making some people say, well, hold on, that's not true. But it, it definitely is. Anything that you think the country has moved more conservatively on in the last 
you know, two or three generations, it's moved more libertarian towards that way. But there's nothing that's more conservative today than even 1940. So that means your your modern run-of-the-mill Republican in 2022, they're really more liberal in almost every cultural way uh, than, say, like JFK. JFK was probably more conservative like culturally than any modern-day Republican is today. Uh, now, all of this has ramifications culturally, and this is why you're seeing cultural pushback from modern conservatives who are trying to pull back the other direction from progressivism and leftism. This is why the most uh, prolific right-leaning news outlets are things like uh, Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire or Steven Crowder or PragerU or Dan Bongino or Tucker Carlson. These are the most popular things in right-wing news. And people on the left, like, claw at their faces and claim that these outlets are crazy extremists. And in fact, they're, they're actually pretty white-bred, tame versions of conservatism. They just basically advocate for traditional values, the Constitution, gun rights, um, and things like that. But we've moved like so far left as a culture that if you say something like, yeah, I don't really want a drag queen that's probably a pedophile reading to my five-year-old at some library event, you're branded as this crazy extremist. 20 years ago, you'd just be a normal, sane person. Now, what does all that add up to? Well, if things keep separating... If political polarization gets worse, if the culture continues to rot, which it almost certainly will, we're talking about the decline and fall of America, or at least America as it's been known since after the first American Civil War. America as a superpower. America as a sort of empire. America as the, the most powerful and influential country in the world. We're looking at the end of that. So, what does that look like? Does it look like the collapse of other empires? Does it look like the decline and fall of Rome? That's what a lot of people think. Is there this slow rotting away over a few years and years and years and finally it falls apart? Does it look like Europe in the 1900s? Are there terrible wars, political tyranny, death and death and, you know, more death? Will we, will we rot as a single country or will we separate into two countries? Is there going to be secession? Is there going to be separation? Is there going to be civil war? Um, we can, we, are we going to do that whole thing again, right? Um, well, it looks like a maybe at this point. And... I'm not the only one saying that. You've seen it mentioned as a possibility on even mainstream media here and there. And most people kind of dismiss that, which probably isn't smart, taking into account that, like, in 1850, there wasn't a person in the U.S. that thought there would be a civil war. And then a dozen years later on, they're in the middle of one. So it's not something that should be just dismissed out of pocket. Uh, and then there's other people who kind of cheer on the idea, 
which is even more foolish and stupid because it shows that those people don't really understand the concept of what war means and how terribly awful it would be. Uh, For example, you'll never see a military veteran, a combat veteran, uh, who will talk about this idea of civil war flippantly. Um, they, they've they seen screwed-up countries and war-torn countries. They'll never talk cavalierly about a civil war in America. They just don't do it. And they don't do it because they're serious people. They're serious men who understand what that means and how terrible it would it would be. But there are some very intelligent people who have talked about the prospect of civil war in America as a, a an actual possibility. So if it is a possibility, why? Why is it a possibility? Well, here's the reason, or at least one reason that I can see from where I'm sitting. And this is just from the past week. There was a poll this past week that came out from Rasmussen, which is pretty respected. Uh, Rasmussen poll is generally, you know, understood to be correct. Um, And it said that 59% of Democrats polled supported the idea of house arrest for anyone who's unvaccinated from the coronavirus. It said 45% of Democrats polled supported throwing vaccine critics in prison. 66% of Democrats polled supported digital tracking of unvaccinated people. And then 29% of Democrats polled supported taking children away from anyone who is unvaccinated. Now, I'm honestly not sure how they conducted the poll, but it was taken seriously enough to make its way into a whole bunch of different headlines over this week and last week. Now, there's also been a lot of talk in recent weeks of packing the Supreme Court, doing away with the filibuster, and making Washington, D.C. a state. It's not, a, it's not fringe, crazy leftists that are saying this. It is all of the leaders of the Democrat Party. The president, all of his cabinet, Democrat senators, Democrat House representatives, mainstream Democrats are talking openly about packing the Supreme Court, doing away with the filibuster, all of this. Now, these three things, or even just two of them, would ensure an absolute majority for Democrats on a national level. It would ensure that the Democrat Party held all the political power in the country for the foreseeable future. Generations, maybe. Now, I don't know why I need to explain this, but every single civil war that was ever fought was fought in the largest picture over a struggle between political factions over power. If one side is poised to or does take complete power away from the other, there's really no recourse for the other political faction than armed conflict if one faction seeks to destroy or impose their will onto the other faction. Now, I said I don't know why I need to explain that concept, but here's something I can kind of think of when it comes to just American history in general, especially American history on the Civil War. 
Americans are so ill-educated about the first Civil War that it's not even funny. And as far as I can see, it's kind of my, let's call it my own side's fault. The Republicans' fault. And just the fault of the education system in general. And the reason for that is because Republicans are so obsessed with dunking on the Democrats over slavery in the 1800s. We are so obsessed with, with lifting Abraham Lincoln to this, to this level of kind of like God Emperor. We're so obsessed with kind of deep-throating Abraham Lincoln's big old top hat uh, we raise him to this level level of sainthood that since the end of the Civil War, nearly everyone has been taught that the war was about slavery and racism. And we equate those two as completely inseparable. We're told that this is what it was about, this is all it's about. The Civil War was about slavery and racism. Now, when you ask people if they know anything about the Civil War, they'll say like, well, of course I know about the Civil War. The South was a bunch of evil racist hillbillies that set out to, the, to destroy the country, and Abraham Lincoln, blessed be his holy name, amen, was the greatest, most wonderful, best person that ever lived, as great as Jesus Christ himself. He single-handedly defeated evil, and he rode in on a white horse to save America from destruction. Because, of course, the Confederacy is basically the same thing as Nazi Germany. Now, I'm not joking. That is what almost every American thinks about the Civil War, and it's just not true. Of course slavery was an issue, but it was not the only issue. And when you try to explain this to people, they get they get really upset because they realize that they've been lied to all their life, and they realize that they're wrong, and of course humans don't want to admit they're wrong, so they just get really mad at you for explaining it to them. But... I'll try to explain it to you, and you can get mad at me if you want, but here it is. You're telling me that thousands and thousands and thousands of extremely poor, shoeless, white dudes from the South, they all marched off to war, you know, wearing Ku Klux Klan outfits, and all of it out of sheer hatred for black people. They they decided to fight and die so that rich Southerners could keep their slaves. That's what you're saying. And if if you hold kind of the mainstream opinion of the Civil War, that's what you're saying. You're saying all these poor whites who didn't own any slaves hated black people so much that they put on Ku Klux Klan outfits and marched off to war to die. And if that's your idea, okay, cool, you're a retard. Because that, that's not what happened. So as far as racism goes in that time period... Everyone was racist by definition. Um, Abraham Lincoln himself thought that blacks were an inferior race for most of his life, if not all of his life. And you can find quotes from him saying that very thing. Just Google it if, you're, if you think I'm off base here. You can find quotes from Abraham Lincoln saying that the black race is inferior. Uh, you can also find a letter from Robert E. Lee that he wrote to his son explaining that he believed secession was the worst possible thing that could happen, and it would mean the end of America. He said he was weeping for his country, and he said that a country that was held together only through the force of arms or a threat of war 
he said it held no charm for him, and that he would return to Virginia, and he'd only fight if the South was invaded. Oh, and this was after Abraham Lincoln begged him to be the general of the entire Northern Army. So, if Lee, if General Robert E. Lee was this evil, terrible racist, basically a Nazi, and Abraham Lincoln was this, as, you know, pure Christ-like figure, then why, oh why, in all of Lincoln's glorious wisdom, would he have asked Lee, the evil Nazi, to lead his armies? No, boys and girls. The First American Civil War was a complicated political struggle over the control of political power that turned bloody, just like every single civil war is. This is why politics are important, and this is why you should pay attention to politics. Humans separate into groups, and we struggle for, for power over each other, and it's been like that since the beginning of time. Every single civil war is in some ways a struggle for political power. Well, that kind of went sideways into a rant, but that's my point. It's over political power. That's the big picture stuff. But that is just the big picture stuff. On a smaller level, what causes individual people to be willing to fight a war, to kill people and to die? Uh, well, if they're gonna, if they're fat and happy and comfortable, they're not going to do it. But going back to, to before my rant about the Civil War, if you put them under house arrest. If you try to throw them in prison for exercising freedom of speech, if you want to track them and put them in concentration camps, and then this is the big one, if you try to take their children away, in case nobody's ever told you this, people are willing to kill you for trying to do those things to them. I think this is a real disconnect where people on the left are trying to exert political power over their enemies and they don't understand that they do that at their own peril. Uh, they look at places like Canada and Australia and Europe, and they see the government doing exactly those things and getting away with it, and they think longingly, like, oh, why can't we do that here? Now, there are a lot of people in rural red America, if they're listening to this, which I'm sure they are, and they're saying... Yeah, but this ain't Canada, or it ain't Australia, Bubba. And right on, dude. I agree. I'm with you. But we aren't in the majority. Uh, more on that here in a second. So, this is just a poll. This, this poll from Rasmussen. And I think there's been a couple, actually. It's not the only poll. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. But it is telling. It tells you kind of what the left thinks. And what it has to tell is that the majority of the Democrat Party openly and honestly does not believe in following the Constitution. It shows that they openly and honestly are willing to use political power to punish their enemies. And don't give me any bullshit about, well, the Republicans would do the same kind of thing. Find me a poll that shows that. Find me a poll that shows that Republicans would restrict anything besides abortion if they had control of the reins of power. They, that poll doesn't exist. 
Even on abortion, it doesn't. Uh, and while we're on the subject of abortion, here's another rant for you. I know we just got finished with one, but here we go again. Uh, I could see people saying, well, trying to restrict abortion is a big deal. And to that, I say this. If abortion is your most important issue, if that's the thing that you fight for, you are a ghoulish savage. <laughs> if nobody's ever told you this, this is what those of us who oppose abortion think of you. We think you are a ghoul. Uh, and it's not just because we're mean. There is logic behind it. People who oppose abortion believe that life begins at conception. As far as we're concerned, there's little to no difference in abortion and killing a newborn baby at its mother's breasts. And what if a what is abortion if not some sort of blood sacrifice? When the Aztecs cut people's heart out, when when those like savage tribes throw a virgin into a volcano, why do they do that? They do it because it's a sacrifice to the gods in order to get something beneficial in the future. That is exactly what the sacrifice is meant to do. If you've never, like, if you didn't know that, when they're throwing the virgin into the volcano, <laughs> that's why they're doing it. It is a sacrifice for a, the benefit of the tribe. And this is why in old fables about witches, they bathe in the blood of innocent children or virgins in order to regain like youth and beauty. You see this in all kinds of literature. You see, it, you see it in like video games and stuff. Like I don't know. I I remember it from The Witcher Three. Uh, but there's more video games like this. But distinctly, I remember from The Witcher Three. There's a whole. Uh, quest that you have to go on and at the end of it you like get to the end of the quest and there's these three witches and they've cut up these like virgin sacrifices into a giant cauldron and there's bathing in their blood and they're doing it in order to regain their youth and beauty and this is very typical of old stories about witches so I ask you what is abortion but a woman sacrificing the blood of an innocent in order to retain her youth and beauty and freedom? What is it but a sacrifice of innocent life for the benefit of the rest of the tribe or the individual? Um, and I hear people saying, well, yeah, but from aborted fetuses, we get stem cells and we get a lot of medical research, and that helps us cure illnesses, and we get stuff for older people, and we can create more technology, and all of us in the future will be, oh, wait, I see what you did there. Whoops. Yeah, it is the most ghoulish, pagan, satanic thing there is. And that is how we see it. Um, and Most of you maybe haven't read book one, but if you remember in one of the one of the chapters of book one, the introduction, there's this blind child who is being sacrificed by this tribe of savages, and he's eaten by dogs. And why are they doing that? Well, it's so that the tribe will have good hunts and good fortune in the future. And that's exactly my thoughts on abortion. And if you aren't, uh, if you aren't changing our minds, because uh, 
this is a religiously held belief by almost everybody who opposes abortion. Uh, and oddly enough, abortion is on the level of a religiously held belief also for the people on the left. For people on the left, abortion is the, the level of a sacrament. It's the highest sacrament for them. Roe versus Wade is like a holy text to people on the left, which I think is a pretty pagan, freaky, and ghoulish thing to do. So there's my rant on abortion. It's this pagan satanic ritual, and most Republicans, uh, most Republicans think that, but Republican politicians are even scared to go after abortion because they're afraid to be called out by the popular culture so they don't go after abortion. Republicans never use the power of government the way Democrats do. In fact, that's probably why they get, they're, they're constantly getting their asses kicked by the Democrats, because they will not use government power. They're married to the idea that the government shouldn't be involved in anything, especially the federal government, and, you know, I happen to agree with that sentiment, but we've got a problem. Our opponents don't agree with that sentiment, and they're winning. So, all the Republicans have ever done with government power is lower taxes a little bit. For a limited period of time. They have never rolled back any leftist government social program. And they never will. I mean, remember when the income taxes were supposed to be temporary? Remember when Social Security was supposed to like just sit there? And then they raided it and re they replaced it with IOUs? Can you tell me the last time a government program was like or like a created department was done away with, where they just got rid of something, uh, the best Republicans will ever do is advocate for lowering, lowering taxes a little bit, just for a little bit of time, or restricting abortion a little bit. That's all they've ever done for as long as I've been alive. Now, on the other hand, the Democrats have openly said they are willing to crumple the Constitution up and throw it out the window. And if they're willing to do that over COVID, don't kid yourself, they have the power to do it over anything. So, yes, a, a civil war in the country is certainly a possibility, just logically and historically speaking. And if you dismiss out of hand political upheaval as impossible... It just means you're naive and you haven't read enough history. And the reason people say it isn't possible is usually because admitting that it is possible makes people extremely uncomfortable. And honestly, it kind of like it should. The idea of a civil war in the country is so horrifying that it's easier to say that it can never happen. Uh, a lot of things are like this. We'd rather say that. We'd rather say that could never happen than say, oh, that would be horrifying and it would probably ruin millions of lives and it would alter the course of human history. But, like, we don't want to say that, so we'd rather say, eh, it could never happen. Even when we know in our heart of hearts it's possible. So, if it did happen, it would happen because of tyranny. The, the tyranny of the majority exercising vengeful political power over 
the minority of people. So the next logical question is, of course, who would win? Well, this brings me back to those those rural red Americans with a come and take it or I'm your hu- I'm your Huckleberry mindset. Those are my people. That's probably myself exactly. Are we going to win? You think so? Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, a few years ago, I would have probably laughed if someone asked this question, and I would have said, well, the side with the guns is the side that likes guns. You know, they're probably going to win, silly. But now, after seeing how eager people were to give up their entire constitution over COVID, even in red states, I'm not so sure anymore. Uh, if there was a fight, my my thinking now is that it would probably be short, sparse, and over quickly. And the, the right, quote-unquote, or conservative Americans that were standing up for the Constitution, we'd probably lose. Um, it, it probably wouldn't be another American revolution. It, it probably wouldn't be even another civil war. It would probably look more like uh, a couple hundred Wacos and Ruby Ridges. Why? Well, because almost nobody would be willing to stand up and actually fight. Almost everybody would throw up their hands and they'd give up. And that's probably not what you wanted to hear, was it? Of course not. Because the side standing up against the tyranny, they shouldn't lose. They, like, that isn't what happens in all the romantic, heroic stories. Well, that's too bad. We probably would, because we we really wouldn't be willing to fight about it. Not most of us. And hopefully you're pissed off about that, and you think I'm wrong. I mean, I hope I am, and I might be. Like, there, there are several big-name people who might stand up, and even a little bit of, the, of a following here and there they might have, uh, but not really anyone with any entrenched po- political power. There's probably nobody in the Congress or Senate who would stand up if the, if the time came for it. Uh, it's, now, that's not what I want to think, but that, that's what I think. I, I don't think there's anybody in the Congress or the Senate, anybody with actual political power, even the ones I like, I, I don't think anybody would actually stand up if the time came for it. I think they would bend over and take it in the ass. Uh, and maybe that's a bit cynical, yeah. I mean, I guess that's my nature. And that's that's probably why I wrote a dystopian novel in the first place. Uh, I don't think our modern society has the stomach to fight for freedom. I don't even think that they have the stomach to fight for their kids. I, I think some people do, but I don't think it's nearly enough. And even those people who are on the fence, like aren't sure which way they would go, they're going to be easily persuaded to join the quote-unquote right side of history rather than to be called racist, insurrectionist, or terrorist. And you know that's exactly the labels you're going to be getting by every mainstream media organization, even the so-called conservative ones.
there ain't a single media organization in the country that's going to do anything more than yell and scream and stomp their feet. As soon as there was an actual fight, they're going to throw up their hands and they're going to say, well, I guess we lose because violence is never, ever justified. No matter what, no matter when, not once, not never, not ever, ever, ever. Even if the other side is shoving you into shipping containers and sending you up to camps, nope, you can never be violent because violence is never the answer. Even if the other side is violence, is being violent, never, ever, 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 ever. So just shut up, and if you don't shut up, you're a bad person, and you're a bad Christian, and you're a bad whatever else the right claims to be. That is exactly how it would go down. And very, very, very few would actually be willing to fight because they'd be fighting not only the left, but they'd be fighting the mainstream right as well. And this is cynical, and this is probably not what people want to hear, but I'm telling you right now, that is exactly what would happen. You actually think, you think that Fox News would be on your side. Grow up right now. Grow, grow yourself up, because that ain't happening. And honestly, why should people fight? Because people don't really have any real foundation of an understanding of why they should fight. I mean, that's why education used to be important, and it's not anymore. That's why education is important. This is why you're supposed to learn about natural law and the Constitution, if not from your own parents, you're, you're at least supposed to learn it at school. And when someone does try to teach you about it, it's why you're supposed to pay attention. This is why when you read 1984 or Animal Farm or Lord of the Flies, The Crucible, The Diary of Anne Frank, Night, Fahrenheit 451, you're supposed to pay attention to what the author is saying. But you didn't, and nobody else is either. It's why when you read Shakespeare, you're supposed to learn about tyranny and ambition and love and hate and war and human nature. But you didn't, and nobody else did either, because your reading comprehension wasn't good enough. It's why you learn about history, and you're supposed to learn lessons about the mistakes that we've made. You're not just supposed to memorize dates and names. But you didn't, because all you learned in history is how racist the South was and how Abraham Lincoln was a saint, and that's all you learned. There's a reason that all this is called social science in school. History, political science, etc. It, it's all called social science because you're supposed to observe what you have learned, what, what the past has to show. You're supposed to observe what the past has to show, and you're supposed to learn things from it. It's the scientific method applied to human history, but you haven't done that, and nobody else has either. And for way too long, we've not done it. We're too busy, we're too distracted. There, there are too many things, too many shiny things to look at. You know, TV shows, sports, music, entertainment, movies, you know, porn, alcohol, drugs. There's too many things to look at. So we've become 
a people ignorant of our own foundations. We don't know what they are. And if you don't know about the foundations, what reason do you have to fight for them? Well, you don't. And so you're not going to. Even deeper than those things, what real foundation of morality do we still have at all? As a, as a group, as a country. Of what use are the Ten Commandments and the law of God if we as a culture don't believe in God in the first place? If, if we as a country believe God doesn't exist, then God's morality and the Ten Commandments don't matter. If there's no supreme law, if there's no inherent truth, well then everything is just a suggestion. Right and wrong don't really exist. So, what is there to fight for if we are a culture with no, no purpose in the first place, outside of being comfortable and entertained? I mean, a slave can be comfortable and entertained. If COVID has shown us anything, it showed us that. If you give us food delivery services, weed, and Netflix... 90% of the country is perfectly fine with house arrest. Hell, they're not just okay with it, they actually prefer it. To the point that they'll point at the ones who aren't, and they'll tell them that they are dangerous extremists and science deniers, and they'll say that they ought to be thrown into concentration camps and their children should be taken away. To the point that like, we, we can't even talk about it anymore. If you talk, if you say anything against it, they think you should be tracked by the government or put under house arrest. You really think a culture like that is going to fight for the foundations and ideals that they don't even believe in anymore? I don't. I wish I did. I, I hope that maybe my opinion will change on the matter, but as it stands today in 2022... I just don't see it happening. Well, that was depressing, wasn't it? Like that was that was a pretty depressing podcast. Uh, so is there any good news? Is there any hope to all of this? Like what what should we do if this is all the truth and maybe it is, maybe it's not, maybe I'm cynical, but uh, I I think I'm right to be honest with you. So what do you do? Like, you do what you can, I guess. Like, all you can do is you do what you can. You become a moral person as much as you can. You read, and you learn history, literature, everything you can. Um, take your kids to church, or at least instill in them some sort of moral values. Move to the country, or a rural community. Honestly, the redder the better. Uh, get involved in your local community in a positive way. I don't know. Pull your kids out of public school. Learn to grow your own food. Learn to hunt your own food. Learn to shoot. Train with your rifle and pistol. Learn something about first aid for crying out loud. Get your fat ass in better shape. Be able to run a couple miles. Be able to carry an 80-pound pack. Make yourself stronger, faster, and smarter, become a dangerous person. Keep your mouth shut and your eyes and your ears open. 
if you pay attention and you think logically and in the long term, you can probably see things coming before they happen. And I guess that's my last piece of advice for this episode. Uh, real ball of sunshine, this one. Uh, after this, I guess I'll I'll get back to uploading the book, next chapter 16. And if you made it through all of this to the very end, and it's all you know sad and full of rain clouds and terribleness, uh, I think you'll enjoy the next chapter because you know Noah's not actually dead. Of course not next time. See you there. Thanks for your time. Goodbye.